Philippians 1. To that congregation, he writes, I pray that you would grow more and more in your love, that you grow more and more in your knowledge, and as you grow more and more in your knowledge, that you would grow more and more in your discernment of what is the best course of action in any circumstance that comes. Last week I spoke about growing in love. This week, growing in knowledge. And following in that train, we will grow in discernment. When my father died some four years ago, and I went down to Dallas, Texas, I said to my siblings, my three brothers and my sister, I said to them, this will be far harder on you than on me. And it will be far harder on your children than on mine. Why? Because they grew up right next to mom and dad. Mom and dad's house here, one brother on one side, one brother on the other side, my sister ten minutes away. They grew up close. They saw them every day. And the grandchildren and great-grandchildren saw them every day. I was a thousand miles away, so maybe three or four days in the course of a year would I see them. Their grief was stronger, but their knowledge of mom and dad was extraordinary. I spent an extra week after they passed away, and I listened to one story after another about my dad and about my mom, things I never, never knew about their personality and how they made decisions and, and all of those things. They knew mom and dad. They saw him every day. Do you know him? Do you know him? If you come when there's a funeral, if you come when there's a baptism, if you come when there's a wedding, you're like I was. You're, you're bumping into them and you're bumping into him. That's not knowing him. We do a bit better when we come to church perhaps uh, 30 weeks out of 52, or 52 out of 52, and if you add Advent and Lent, uh, you got 60 visitations going on. That, that's good. That's powerful. The Bible says that we come together so we can know about God, His works and His power, His love and His mercy. Do you know Him? Do you just visit Him when, when you're sick or when someone you love is sick or when someone has passed away? Do you, do you visit Him? He's a powerful force to visit. I'm glad you do. Probably the reason you visit Him is the roots were formed when you were younger. But to know Him, it's every day. You say, I find it hard to read the Bible. Well, there are hundreds of devotion books out there, Sarah Young and hundreds of them. And there are verses attached to every single devotion. And you read that verse, and you read the verses that follow it, and, and the verses that precede it, and then you read the devotion and say, my goodness gracious, this is the insight this person has about God. I know a little bit more about Him because of this person's insight and these devotions. But then you yourself, looking at the verses that precede and the verses that follow and the verse itself, and you pray that verse into your life, Lord, make this meaningful. Help me to know you better because you brought this verse. Help me to live you better because you brought this verse into my life. You know him. 
prayer, His Word. Looking at the circumstances of your life, I talked last week. Uh, here's Josh and Rachel. Lucas has a good day at school. Josh and Rachel, you know, God's looking over you. Look, okay, what are you doing? You're bringing God into the equation. All of a sudden, consciously or subconsciously, Lucas or Miles, Elena or Cece, they are realizing that there is a divine being, God and His Son Jesus, who are influencing their life. And if they're having a difficult time, Josh and Rachel can sit down with them and say, let's, you know, come and talk with me. Come and talk with me. And they will remind them that God is with them. Okay? So they grow in their knowledge and their understanding of God through some friend, through a parent, through someone in your small group, reminding you that God did not create and then disappear up into the heavens and say, hey, I'll see you in 10,000 years. God is with you every moment of every day. Do you know Him? Paul wrote from prison. Satan applauded. He said, man, I shut the guy down. He started all these churches. Now I'm shutting him down. He's not going to be touching any lives. He started Thessalonica and he started Ephesus, Galatia, but now I'm shutting him down. And when he's in prison, he writes four letters. There are 13 letters of the Apostle Paul that he wrote half of the New Testament Four of them he wrote from prison. He could not do anything else. He had time on his hands. So what does he do? He writes these letters to the different churches. Four of them. Three to churches, one to his dear friend Philemon. And these letters, goodness gracious, these letters, when he starts a church, there might be 30 people there. Uh, maybe at Corinth, he's got 120 showing up on a, on a Sunday morning. But when he writes these letters, is it hundreds that are affected? Is it millions? Let's try billions of people throughout all these centuries reading the letters that he wrote. And it's like God said, I know Satan meant this for your harm, but we're going to turn it into good. Because from a prison, you are going to write these letters. It reminds me of Martin Luther, right? He's kidnapped by friends. He's kidnapped by friends in order to save his life right after he died of worms. And he's holed up there at Wartburg Castle. He's a prisoner in Wartburg Castle. What does he do in Wartburg Castle? <laughs> he does one of the most phenomenal things in Christendom. He takes the Bible written in Latin and he translates it into the German so that all of the common people can actually read the Bible. If you ask the Apostle Paul about his imprisonment, he said, man, I got to write four letters. If you ask Martin Luther about his imprisonment in Wartburg Castle, he would have said, that was the greatest moment in my life because I translated the Bible and God brings Gutenberg and his printing press around the same time. So his word explodes. I was thinking as I was working on the sermon this week, I was thinking, uh, if he hadn't been in prison, would we have Ephesians? Would we have that enormously powerful verse, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, By grace are ye saved through faith, that faith is not of yourself, gift of God, not of works as any man should. Would we have that verse? A verse that so influenced and brought so much peace to Martin Luther. Would we have the verse of strong encouragement? We use it during fast forward quite often. People have used it throughout the centuries. Ephesians 3.20. Would we have that verse? 
God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. Well, we have Ephesians 4.32, one of the themes for the school some four years ago. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. We're moving into Lent. The letter to the Philippians was written in prison. And in Philippians, would we have Philippians 2, 5 through 10? Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus our Lord, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he emptied himself. Would we have that verse? And then it concludes, and because of this, God has given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things on earth, things under this earth. When we come to Thanksgiving, what would we read if he hadn't written the letter to the Philippians because we read it every Thanksgiving? Philippians 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. All of these verses, all of these verses, would they even exist if God had not said, you got lots of time on your hands now. Let us write some letters. Grow in your knowledge of Him. I don't know which service it was. Uh, I can't remember. One of the services last week, I mentioned Matthew 25, the three servants. I want to go a little bit more in-depth here. Second to the last parable he preached. The parable is not about the talents as we imagine them. He, one servant, five talents. One servant, two talents. One servant, one talent. And then the Bible says the Master gave them according to their ability. And you and I have always thought, my, well, the guy with five talents, that's a Dave, Dave Ramsey guy. Okay, that's a Dave Ramsey guy. He knew that if he gave this guy five talents, he would explode with the investments that he made. This is a Dave Ramsey guy. I had nothing to do with it. When you look at the third servant, you understand what this parable has to do about. The master goes on the journey. He entrusts his property to the three servants. God entrusts our property to us. He didn't give it to them. He entrusted it to them. He loaned it to them. Your friends are loaned to you. Your spouse is loaned to you. Your children are loaned to you. Your grandchildren are loaned to you. The house you live in is loaned to you. Your food is loaned to you. Your job and your paycheck are loaned to you by God. And when the master looks at these servants, he gives to them talents according to their ability. And the ability he's talking about is this. Listen very carefully. He gives them their talents according to their ability to discern the presence of the master in their life. He gives them the talents according to their ability to discern the presence of the master in their life. The man with five talents, he knows the Master very well. And the Master that he has seen, and the Master that he's talked to, and the Master that he's watched on a daily basis, and the Master that he has observed and kept under a microscope, and, and the Master, he's seen him offer forgiveness to this servant who didn't deserve us. He, he's, he showed mercy to this person who had loaned him money and he had given him grace. 
he had watched the Master. And as he watched the Master on a daily basis, he said, I would give anything to be like the Master. The food I have on the table, I know it's come from him. The job has come from him. The sheep that I own, it's come from him. My children have come from him. Everything I have has come from him. The Master gave them talents according to their abilities. What he knew about them was what they knew about him. Okay, it's early in the morning, think about that. What the servants knew about him was what moved the Master to know about them and to give them the talents as he did. I dare say that those two servants, five-talent, two-talent man, they were almost excited when the Master went away because they said, now's our opportunity to show him how much we love him, how much we respect him. We work for him with joy. We can hardly wait till he goes away because then we can prove to him what we feel about him. As I was looking at this message, I couldn't help but think of Habakkuk becoming one of my favorite verses last year. Habakkuk would have been a ten-talent servant because here's what Habakkuk wrote, Habakkuk 3, verse 17. Though the fig trees the Master gave me do not bud, and though there are no grapes on the vines that the Master gave me, and though the olive crop fails and the fields that the Master gave me produce no food, and if there are no sheep in the pen and the cattle in the stalls do not exist, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior because my Master is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to climb to the highest heights. Habakkuk, when he has nothing going for him and everything has failed, he still looks at the Master and he says, I know Him and I love Him and I respect Him. And though I have nothing that the visible eye can see, yet I have Him. That gentleman would have been a ten-talent individual. Matthew 25 is all about your personal response to Jesus because of your knowledge of Him. How do we know that? Because of the third servant. And the words that came out of his mouth. Are you ready? The third servant said, I know you, Master. I know about you. You're a hard man. And then these words that are hard to understand. You harvest where you do not plant. And you sow seeds property that belongs not to you. What in the world does the servant mean? He means this. Master, you harvest where you didn't sow. You haven't given me anything. Everything I have has come from my blood, sweat, and tears. Everything I have is because of my wisdom, my wit, my charm, my intelligence, my connections. 
And you, Master, you try and piggyback on what my hard work has gotten me. When you look at this section of Scripture, you cringe all the time because this servant accuses the Master of taking the praise that belongs to the servant. The servant, if he was here today, he'd say, God, these dear people, you have just fooled. They've worked so hard, they deserve to be doing something on a Sunday morning other than thinking that they have to come and give you praise. And they work hard for their money, and here you're telling them they need to give 5% or 10% of their income. You harvest God where you haven't sown. It makes me shudder when I realize what this man has said to the Master. And he knows the other servants, and I'm sure the other servants say to him, are you out of your mind? How narcissistic, how stupid can you be? The food you have, the, the shelter you have, the flocks that you own, everything has come for the Master. And the servant says, you don't know him like I do. Do you know the Master? There's lots of people who feel like the third servant. There's lots of people who when the brain tumor comes to the six-year-old child, or when the family is injured in the car accident, or the lady down in Crete dies along with her three children, when everything, anything bad happens, there are people who said, I know God, but when something bad happens, they start to curse Him. And if they don't curse Him, they walk away from Him like Benjamin Franklin did when his eight-year-old son died. And they say, I have nothing more to do with you. You're a mean and cruel and hard man. There are others of us who when suffering comes, we run so fast to Him. We run so fast to Him. And we put our arms around Him. And we say, you're the foundation. You're my foundation. You're my strength and my peace and my courage. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? Isaiah, do you know Him? Yes, though my sins are red as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Moses, do you know Him? Yes. Red Sea in front, chariots of Pharaoh behind. I know Him. I'm going to say to the people, Stand still and behold the deliverance of God. John the Baptist, do you know him? Yes, when he sends the servants, they come back and they say, my goodness gracious, John, the blind see and the deaf hear and the crippled walk and he's proclaiming the good news to all the people. Do you know him? Because of the word, because of your prayers. Do you know him? Closing word, Pastor Shower, some four or five months ago, during that capital campaign, he said something so profound, I don't think I'll ever forget it. Some person I was talking to this past week brought it up to me, said, do you remember the ladder that Pastor Shower brought to the service? wasn't a visible ladder, it was a ladder up on the screen. 
Okay? And the bottom rung of the ladder, it's someone coming to church. They're knowing Jesus for the first time. They're coming for church for the first time. And they hear about, you know, you should use your time and talents for the Master. He's given you everything. And an offering plate goes by and they say, eh. You know, and they just let it pass by as well they should. Because they don't know the Master. And then after two or three months, they climb up the second rung of the ladder. They've come for two or three months and they're beginning to recognize your faces and they're listening a bit more closely to what is being preached. And they sit and say, man, learn a little bit about Jesus and I'm feeling pretty comfortable here. Offering plate goes by. And they put in a five or a ten or a twenty. And now four or five months have gone by and, and they're here very often. And all of a sudden, they've climbed up to the third rung of the ladder. They say, I wonder if I can sing in the choir. It's time for me to get involved here. I wonder if I can sing in the choir. I wonder if I can join a small group. I want to be more a part of this. And when the offering plate goes by, third rung of the ladder, I can give 2%. I think I'll give 2% of what I make into that offering plate. Fourth rung of the ladder, they've been here for a year and they've grown in their knowledge of the Master. He's not a myth. He's not a fairy tale. He is absolutely real, the most real thing there is. And His power and His love and His wisdom are so extraordinary. Fourth rung of the ladder. I think I shall set a goal that within 12 months I'm giving 8, 9, 10% to Him. And I think I shall set a goal that I'll be worshiping in every Sunday. I think I'll set a goal that I'll join a small group or join a choir, become an usher. I know Him. I know Him. And everything I have comes from Him. And my greatest desire is to show Him how much I love Him and respect Him. Patrick Mahomes, right? Super Bowl last Sunday. MVP. 24 years of age. And Connie's sitting there and she said, look at this. And there he is. I don't take it for granted. We see it quite often every year, but I never take it for granted. 24-year-old talking about God. <laughs> I know God. I know Him. Saturday night before a football game, we're all worshiping together. Wednesday, I'm in a Bible study with others on this team. I know Him. And we pray that no one gets hurt and that we have fun and that we use His talents to the best of our ability. My goodness gracious. The Master would say of Patrick Mahomes, you're a five-talent individual. Because you have the ability to discern, discern my presence in your life even on a football field. Do you know Him? And if you know Him, what does that mean for your time, talents, treasures on this earth? Someone asked me last night for the address of Dr. Stephen Hanauer. He said, your son, ulcerative colitis 20 years ago. I have a friend who needs him. And I wrote down his name and his location. You and I know someone far more important than Dr. Stephen Hanauer. Bless 
his heart and his ministry of healing. If you know him, you share him. In our Savior's name, amen. Would you rise as we pray? Everything from you, Lord. And right after the talent, uh, the parable of the talents was the parable of the sheep and the goats. Did you use your time, talent, and treasures on this earth? Did you know me well enough? Did you know my love and my mercy, my grace, my forgiveness, my salvation? Did you know it so well that it was second nature for you to feed someone hungry for him, to give someone a drink who needed him, to visit someone in some prison because they needed him and you had him and you delivered him to them. Help us to grow in our knowledge of you, Lord, on a daily basis. Word, sacrament, prayer, circumstances of life, meditation. Help us to grow in our Lord's name. Amen.